Hi, I'm James Kotecki. You're listening to the C-Space Studio Podcast. Interviews with technology, media, and marketing leaders from CES 2020. Hi, I am James Kotecki. You are in the C-Space Studio here at CES 2020. With us is Duncan Crabtree Ireland, COO and General Counsel of SAG-AFTRA. Welcome back. Thank you, James. It's great to be back again. Thanks so much. And just to explain once again for everybody, what is what does SAG-AFTRA stand for? Sure. So SAG-AFTRA stands for Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And what that basically means is we're the union and sort of professional organization for performers of all kinds. That means actors, but it also means, for example, singers and recording artists. And we also represent professional journalists uh, who work on camera and on radio and also on the internet and new media. So basically anyone, we like to say anybody who works in front of a camera or behind a microphone, we represent them. So you're back here once again at CES. What are some of the tech issues that are at the top of your mind this year? Well, we're always here at CES because, as you know, there's a lot of microphones and a lot of cameras here, (laughs) so it seems appropriate. Um, I think probably the biggest issue on everyone's mind right now, sort of in a a broad sense, is the question of how, how much is AI and various types of new technology going to replace Workers And are we on the cusp of a moment when it's going to be a great displacement of jobs for people, and in our case, for performers of various kinds and journalists, but in the broader labor movement sense, for workers in all types of industries. And in fact, we just had a, a conference this morning, um, SAG-AFTRA and the AFL-CIO held our second annual summit here at CES to bring together thought leaders in this area and talk about how, you know, what is... What is the ethics of this new technology and how, how does it coexist and how can it work with people rather than against them? So what are some examples of, of potential fears of people being replaced? Are we talking about CGI actors taking over from, uh, from actors that are captured live or is it beyond that? Right. So in, our, in, in my world, yes, that's certainly one of the biggest fears is, is it going to be possible someday to create... Um, you know, creative works without the need for actors or performers to be in them where someone mm-hmm. can just computer generate a whole performance or more likely uh, what about the day when the day comes where you can scan a performer and have them work one day but then create a month's worth of work out of that one day's worth of work and what happens to someone who's trying to make a living as opposed to just as an amateur um, but of course that's a, a broader there's a similar broader issue in the labor movement in general because you know talking about autonomous vehicles uh, you know what's going to happen to people who are, um, you know, taxi or Uber drivers that when the day comes that those people aren't needed in those jobs or what's going to happen to to long-distance truckers when trucks can be driven autonomously without people in them and all the other permutations of that that you can imagine. So there's a lot of concern, but I think the idea is, you know, don't just fear technology, don't ignore it, don't turn your back on it and try to stop it. Instead, figure out how it can adapt and you can adapt to make it work for you instead of against you, or at least work with you, if not for you. And what are some of the emerging themes about how that could actually work in practice? We talk about embracing this technology, but I can imagine mm-hmm. that it, it, it is fairly scary. Are there, are there in, initial conversations of maybe policies or best practices in place to help performers you know, maintain that work and that income in the face of this technology? Because as you mentioned, you're not going to stop it. Right. And actually, I mean, in, in the... Uh, in the major parts of the industries that we work with, this is already going on, right? Because uh, one of the things that's different today is this technology is becoming more and more accessible to at the consumer level, but it's not a new idea. And in fact, there have been CGI 
type um, performance capture and CGI created characters in a number of movies and even television series. So I think the way we've dealt with it is by negotiating with the producers and making sure that there's a set of rules around how that work is used that are fair to the performer Mm -hmm. and also fair to the producer. And of course, that works well in an environment where you've got a strong collective bargaining entity that can represent those individuals up against these big companies. It doesn't necessarily work as well when you start talking about things like deep fakes or environments where there's not you know, a company or a party to negotiate with, where you've got just a random person out there stealing someone's image and likeness and turning it into something that they never agreed to or would ever uh, authorize. Yeah, we've talked about deep fakes before. Here at the beginning of 2020, are you more worried, less worried, or do you have a new set of worries uh, that have come up? Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's continuing to explode as we expect, and I think we all expect. The technology is becoming more and more accessible to people, which means more and more people can do it. Um, It's easier to do. It takes less technical skill. It takes less money. Um, And so we have seen a proliferation of that. We do have some good news. And for example, um, we were able to get a bill enacted in California to provide more rights to people whose images are stolen and used, especially, uh, for example, in deepfake porn, which is a huge problem um, and results in a lot of abuse, um, not just in our industry, certainly with certain celebrities. They are you know, at the forefront of being uh, exploited in that way, but it could be anybody, um, you know, even revenge porn, that type of thing. Um, so we're happy that we've gotten legislation passed in California. We're, uh, we've got New York in our sights for next year. Um, and, of course, in the long run, we'd like to see, you know, stronger rights, legal protection of those rights. I think also just bringing it up to people so they understand what the problem is so that it's not uh, a mystery um, what we're talking about and so that people can sort of stand together. Um, we have a hashtag we've been using with our members called hashtag protect my image and our members have been speaking out. That's helped us get the law passed in California and also uh, we expect it will in New York. Um, deepfakes is a, it is a real problem and it's a developing problem but it's not one that I think any of us believe we're going to 100% solve. I think what we're looking to do is provide better remedies and help um, control it so it doesn't just continue spiraling out of control the way it has been with no framework around it. Another thing that you can use technology to fake is news, whether that's video or audio or images. And you represent journalists, and this is an election year, and many people are more worried than ever about uh, how news spreads and whether that news is truthful. So how does that play into the work that you do and and what you do with your members on the journalism side? Absolutely. I mean, we have the same issues on the journalism side, especially to the extent that our member journalists are themselves incorporated in any of this kind of deep fake news Mm. activity. So they would appear to be reporting on something when they never said that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Or if in some way their credibility is being attached to it to try and bolster the credibility of something that might be suspect when you first see it. Because I think the reality is until somebody gets a handle on how to detect deepfakes, and actually we talked about this on our panel this morning, there's, there's this sort of arms race of you know, improved deepfake technology and improved deepfake detection technology, mm-hmm. back and forth and back sure. and forth. And one of my fellow panelists was like, it's like computer viruses. It's never going to go away because there will always be this battle, but you can potentially control it with the right technology. I think on top of that, it's going to be a question of making sure you're getting information from trusted sources, because if you can't 100% trust everything you see or hear, then the next step is where did it come from, and that's how I know if I can trust it or not. And that's where our members come in, because our members are trusted sources. I mean, they have you know journalistic ethics, and they yeah. they they are people who, when you hear from them, you know you can trust them. So if you can trust that source, that's really important. I think on a broader level for our democracy, not just only for our members. 
The other side of that is our members have been under attack in the last few years in ways we haven't seen before. And so SAG-AFTRA has really stepped up to defend the importance of integrity of, um, of journalism. Mm -hmm. And you know, from my personal perspective, our society can't do without it. I mean, we can't have everyone having their own set of facts and no one knowing what's real and what's fake. And I think um, attacking journalists is absolutely the wrong way to go. We should be embracing journalism and we should be really appreciating the fact that it gives us access to credible information that we can never go collect on our own. So you are obviously a union, and we are at a technology yes. conference. How does technology change the idea of union organizing itself? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, you know the unions have been trying to use technology to further their organizing efforts. One of the things that happened under the Obama administration was unions were formally given the right by the National Labor Relations Board to use employer email systems to conduct uh, organizing campaigns in union business. The current administration's NLRB has just reversed that very rule and taken a step backward, in my view, um, saying that even someone who's working full-time in a workplace can't, on their break, use the workplace email system mm. to communicate. So I think there's an ongoing tension. Um, but. But I think unions are uh, using new technology, social media, for example, using other ways of reaching out to, to sort of get around the roadblocks that are being put in their, in their way. And I imagine things like social media also create the ability for you to engage in cultural change, right? The, the broader people that aren't in the union, but the broader societal understanding of what the union is doing and the ability to leverage that uh, as, a, as a messaging or a, a political tool. Absolutely. I think a lot of people have in their mind an image or an idea of unions that is decades out of date with what unions actually are today. And a lot of people that I talk to when I explain you know, who I work for, what, what we do, um, at first they may react to unions, I, you know, I'm skeptical of them, or I don't know about them, mm -hmm. or I've heard some bad things, or whatever. Sure. And then when I explain what we actually do, people are like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Or I wish I had that in my workplace. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think there's a real opportunity now for the labor movement to sort of help people understand that it is not the labor movement people are thinking about from 30 years ago. It is just like technology has advanced, labor, the labor movement has advanced too. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but we're really out there helping people. When you think about it, there's not a whole lot of other people you can turn to who are really constantly thinking about how we can help working people have a better life. That is not um, what is happening in every corporate suite necessarily. And I, and I think it needs to. I mean, that, that balance needs to be out there, and, and that's one way to achieve it. In our closing moment, can you please fill in the blanks? It's 2020. <laughs> it's time to stop blank and start blank. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, it's 2020. It's time to stop fearing technology and start thinking about how we can make it work for us better. A great answer and a great close to another great conversation. Thank you so much, James. Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, COO and General Counsel of SAG-AFTRA. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This podcast is in partnership with the iHeart Podcast Network. <laughs> 